0: guys. Um, welcome to the Project Tahiti podcast. It's a magical place. We are an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. recap podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jess, and I'm joined by Jared. Hi, Jared. Hello. And we're also joined by our very first guest this week, um, Michal Schick. Hi, Michal. Hi, guys. Um, I know Michal from... Many many years ago, uh, we've been friends through like the Harry Potter fandom and Game of Thrones. Um, Michal, you were actually the first person to introduce me to Game of Thrones many Was years I ago, really? so thank you. And also, I hate you for that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a dubious honor, but I will fully accept. <laughs> Um,
0: you're a part of many, many fandoms, but I think, um, I really wanted to have you on this podcast because you, uh, are an entertainment writer for Hypeable and you do all the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. recaps, um, and write-ups for the, for, for Hypable. So, um, other than that, uh, you're involved in quite a few other podcasts. You're welcome to plug. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, <laughs> just a few. Um, so I, I talk about Marvel, um, specifically Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but also, the general universe with the level seven access podcast. And I talk about game of Thrones, the song of ice and fire, and then other various pop culture things for the vassals of King's grave podcast. And then the podcast that I host myself is called nice Jewish Fangirls, which is probably pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> um, <laughs> me and some other Jewish girls talk about fandom and, and our uh, lives and entertainment and the things we're obsessed with. And uh, it's a lot of fun.
0: Awesome. I do listen to your nice Jewish fan girls podcast and some of the stuff does go over my
1: head, um, but
0: it's great. (laughs) Um, You guys get in and you're like, all of you guys are so uh, just incredibly like well versed in other stuff outside of just the fandoms that you talk about. So I don't know. It's really interesting to hear you guys get into like nitty gritty stuff, just like literature wise and things like that. So very enjoyable. I highly recommend we are a recap podcast. Um, if you are new to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fandom, we do talk about spoilers at the very end of the episode, but we'll give you plenty of warning. Um, if you're wondering where you can watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it is available on Netflix through the end of season five, so be sure to go check that out. Um, unless you guys have anything to add, we will get started.
2: All we right, think it's this a good show.
0: Is- just a little bit <laughs> we were doing a podcast about it you write about it i don't know um all right so this is season one episode six titled FZT, or fzt <laughs> uh, it was written by i'm gonna butcher this name paul Bizweski. I believe that's how you say it. And it was directed by Vincent Missiano, which I think we should give them all the episodes at this point, because this is an amazing episode. Um, Originally aired November 5th, 2013. And before we get into this, I would just like to say that I forgot how emotional this show gets early on in the season. I was thinking just kind of like remembering back to first watching this, that it didn't happen until later on, or maybe even until season two. Um, I was wrong. <laughs> I was crying my eyes out <laughs> during this episode. Um, so yeah, I have,
1: I have a bit of a, like a tale with this story. Um, Cause you know, as, as my fandom resume might suggest, I don't really go into things like halfway So I was, like, obsessed with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. from the first go because I love Marissa Tantron. I think she's an amazing writer and anything she touches is going to turn to gold. So I was, like, waiting and waiting for the show to turn to gold. And as I knew, it could. And um, I was waiting and waiting for them to kind of focus on Fitzsimmons for a second and, like, move away from Sky and, like, you know, maybe get a bigger sense of the whole team. And I distinctly remember that it was a two-week break between episode five and episode six and of course the preview for episode six was like oh my god it's all about Fitzsimmons, and simmons might die and oh my god i i kid you not i spent two weeks in like a state of panic um the first of many induced by this show and it was um not only that but it was uh an election night when it aired so it kept getting interrupted And I had to go drive my mother to the polls for a second, like right before the episode started. (laughs) So it was like, you know, it it, it was emotional. And then, yeah. And then we got this amazing episode.
0: So great. Yeah. Lots of suspense and emotion here. So... Uh, the scene is set in Pennsylvania somewhere. There's boy Scouts out on a camp out. They're telling scary stories. And then we see this like floating cup behind them. Um, the, the scout leaders like screaming, there's a lightning storm. It seems like, or what we think is a lightning storm. Um, the kids and one of the older scout leaders, I guess, go and run into the truck and hide. And then the car battery like shoots out of the truck. It's very dramatic. Um, you have to, then they decide to go look for their scout leader, Mr. Cross. And we find him suspended in the air with these little zaps of electricity bouncing around him. Very mysterious and creepy. And that's the cold open. <laughs> um, so then we go back to the bus, or we go to the bus for the first time for this episode. Um, Coulson's on a treadmill. Um, supposedly, his physical therapist asked for a physical because he said that he was feeling a little rusty, uh, but he's fine. Gemma comments are S- Simmons. Cause I don't think we know her name is Gemma yet at this point. She hasn't been fully announced as Gemma until later in this episode. Uh, she comments on how he's almost too healthy for a man of his age, which kind of offends Colson. <laughs> um, and uh, Fitz and Ward are in the lab workshopping the, the night, night gun, which is, I think it's the first time that we see it. No second time we see it in the season. Um, Ward is like talking about how it's like an ounce off. Ward leaves, and then Fitz is is in there with Sky, and he's doing this like terrible impression of Ward with this really terrible American accent to make Sky laugh. And they, he's like at his attempt to flirt, I suppose. <laughs> and Sky just wants to talk about like her ex boyfriend and Ward, who she I don't know like. If this is like the beginning of her starting to have feelings for him or what she thinks are feelings for him or if she's confusing that with like looking up to a mentor. I don't know. It's very weird. Um, but anyway, Simmons comes in and she does an equally terrible but hilarious Ward impression. And Ward walks back in right after that. And they're all kind of like, Ugh, did he hear us? Uh, and Gemma turns around and she just lies to Ward telling him that the gun is is a proper weight now. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it feels good. No problem. And it's like, all right. Cool. Uh so now they go to Pennsylvania again, uh, to, to investigate this scene. Um Uh, where the scout leader is still floating. Uh, They call it an electrostatic anomaly. Um, They're investigating the site. Um, Sky is clearly still in the doghouse from her uh, escapades from the previous episode, and she's following Ward around, being really annoying and annoying him very visibly. She's, like, poking at the car battery with, like, a wooden stick. It's like, you're not
1: doing anything useful, honey. And... um I I love that Sky is just like that person who's like, if you're mad at them, then they will just pretend that you're not mad at them until, you know, they start paying attention to you in a normal way. Because she's just like, give me attention, attention, give me. I don't know how to cope with
0: this. You know? And then he's just like, yeah, don't like be on me. Please, you know, give me space. (laughs) And she's like, oh my God. Okay. Um, Fitzsimmons are like clearly have no idea what caused this and then they're kind of examining the body. Simmons is like looking at the wound in the guy's head and he just like drops to the ground and they're it's like super weird and no one really knows what's going on. So they go back to the bus and Sky is kind of going through like the data that she's found on this dead dude, and she's very annoyed that she's still having to wear her like house arrest bracelet. Um, and she makes all these Captain America references when she's talking about this guy, and it's so nice to like have them actually say Captain America in the show instead of just being like, "Oh, the guy with the shield," and being all weird about it. So, I think, I think. Uh, I want to say like episode f- maybe four and five, and definitely this episode they're giving they're getting a little bit more comfortable just being outright with the MCU references, so that's fun. Oh, and then there's this like odd scene where May is interrogating one of the Boy Scouts, and she's like super intense and like, here have a cookie, like all creepy, and this poor kid is like freaked out. <laughs> it was just like it had. Like when I rewatch, I so I watched this episode twice, and when the second time I rewatched it, I realized how out of place that episode or that scene is. It's so weird, but you know, I I don't know.
1: (laughs) I kind of I adore that because it's like May attempting to be like, you know, like feel calm around me. You know, confess any wrongdoing or anything. You know. And like, she's just the most intimidating, terrifying. No. <laughs> like, the gulp that that kid makes, when she shoves the cookie. No, she's him. just
0: like not the right person to be interrogating like a kid and make them feel at ease. <laughs> I don't, know. I don't yeah. feel like Ward would have done a good job either, though. She's so I don't
1: know. <laughs> I think, I think we've established Coulson is the only one who's actually good at like interrogating people who yes. need help and like, Nobody else can handle well, that and, at this I stage.
2: Don't, I don't want to spoil any plot points, but I feel like it's a, there's a vague satisfaction being where we are now at the series with Mae being uncomfortable around a kid.
1: It oh, kind of yeah. pays off
2: later on. I don't think it was like foreshadowing by any mm. means. Like they, Justin and I were talking right before uh we started uh the episode, just how like there's a lot of stuff that we can't tell if they knew ahead of time, but they there's there's enough that we absolutely can tell early on that like they planned out really well. But I don't, I don't think they planned out stuff at the end of season five, necessarily. <laughs> uh, yeah. From the very beginning, it, it's, it is really cool to oh, see. No. And I think you're absolutely right that uh, Coulson is the only person to interrogate most civilians and like any child that, it, it, <laughs> that we've met so far as far as interrogating maybe Fitz or Simmons, but that's not really their uh, wheelhouse at this point. At this point, uh, you know, they're much more specialized as what they handle. So.
0: That's a really good point, though. I didn't even think about it because I was just thinking of this scene in the context of like the episode as a whole. But we'll and we'll get into this in the spoiler section, obviously. But as like you know, if you look at the series like much later down the road, it does like it, it is it is meaningful that they left that in because it feels really out of place in a uh, uh, And also, it kind of you know to kind of spoil what happens later in the episode. It do, it is kind of juxtaposed to how Coulson handles like dealing with distressed. People, I guess, because later on, he does give a very great uh, performance, I guess, um, with the firefighter. So, so to get to that point. Um, so May's interrogation scene, uh, we go back to the lab, um, Fitzsimmons are, are bickering. Fitz is like angry that there's a dead body in the lab. And um, we find out that the electrostatic energy was like double the power of a normal lightning bolt. And then suddenly we have another event in progress. And so we have to go check it out. And it's at this barn that's like 20 kilometers away. So we go to the barn. Uh, Colson and Ward are trying to figure out a way into this barn. And May, who is the badass, just kicks the door in and is like, here, here you go. <laughs> like just continually highlighting how, amazing she is um and then we see another floating guy with like a similar head wound in the barn um and back on the bus sky discovers that the victims uh both both victims are connected uh, through a volunteer firefighting service and they were both first responders during the battle of new york um, where the chitauri invasion occurred and so uh it cuts to this short scene of a man a firefighter we're assuming um He's really sweaty and looks nervous. Uh, he's polishing this Chitari helmet. And it's like, whoa, like it's so cool to have like an actual MCU reference, like up close, right there in Agents of Shield.
2: Not, <laughs> not just a, a vague comment or even a literal like mention, but instead an actual physical thing other than culture yes. It's kind of neat. Well, and uh, I guess we got Samuel and uh and Maria that's Hill true. as well.
0: Yeah, that's true. But this is like something like an something alien that's having having significance within um an agents of shield story so that's super cool um so the team they figure out you know we have to go we have to go interrogate people at this at this firehouse so they they go to the firehouse um simmons is still in the lab and she realizes that the wounds are exit wounds not entry wounds so the source of the electricity was coming from inside the bodies which is interesting um and conveniently there is another electrostatic event happening within the firehouse as colson and may are in the firehouse one of the firefighters tony diaz who was the guy who was cleaning the helmet comes out he looks really sick Him and Coulson go to the kitchen and he tells Coulson, you know, we were just polishing rust off of this helmet. It's just like a souvenir. No one's touched it except in the past three days. And it was him and the two other guys that died. And he kind of realizes like, oh, shit, like, am I next? Um, Simmons realizes it was an alien virus and that they're actually infected with something instead of there being an actual bad person like out to get them which they were all looking for. They thought it was someone that was doing this to them.
1: Coulson kind of starts doing his thing. No, I just, I love that this is not a a villain episode. And it's like, it's nobody's fault. You know, it's just pure, like, it's very much just continued fallout from New York. And that is like, you know, Ward has a speech later that I just, I I like a lot, but I, I really like the idea that There's nobody to blame in this episode. It's not like there is, you know, life is kind of complicated sometimes. Nobody's, sometimes nobody's trying to hurt you. It just happens. Yeah,
0: no, it's true. And I love this next scene where Coulson, uh, you know, starts talking to the firefighter and he just does his thing. He like, you know, I forget who's in the comp. I think it's Fitz telling him he needs to get out of there. He needs to get out of there. This this guy's going to blow. And he just like pulls his comms out of his ear and he just has this like pure, like, Human moment with this man, and he's telling him, You know, I get it. Like, I've been where you are. Like, my job is really dangerous too. I died in, you know, (laughs) during, you know, during duty. And they say it was only a few seconds. And he goes, I know it was more than that. I know I wasn't here anymore. I was there, and it's beautiful. And it's just like this. I love that they get these actors to come in and just do these like one episode runs and the actors are so, – the guy who plays Tony Diaz is so emotional and just like you just feel – and it's like the the combination of like him and Coulson and the music and it's just such a really emotional episode or, or moment I guess. And, and May is like outside the firehouse listening in on the comms this entire time. And she has that like little bit of a guilty look to her. And you're like, okay, what's that about? And Coulson exits the firehouse and they're all kind of standing there watching. And we see the firehouse light up as a reflection like on their faces. And we know that Tony Diaz is dead and it's really sad.
2: And you you mentioned how good you know he is. He's played by uh, Vincent Laresca, who Thank you. He was in some, you know, he's, he's mostly in smaller roles, but like uh, I think his first movie was Juice, which was a really highly regarded uh, depiction, I think, of like serious issues in inner city you know, urban youth stuff in 1992 that was not super commonplace at the time. Uh, so it oh, wow. was looked at, I think, uh, positively. And then he was also in like The Aviator and Coach Carter. Oh. And uh, he was in uh, Lerman's uh Romeo and Juliet as well.
1: Nice. He has a pretty
2: pretty nice. good uh, track record.
0: He does. He needs to be in more things. He's a great actor. <laughs> um, so the helmet gets loaded onto the bus to be taken to the sandbox. And this seems like an ending point for an episode, right? Like it, it doesn't seem like anything more could happen, but it's only like halfway through the episode. So we know that there's more coming. <laughs> um so we go we're back on the bus. Um, May and Coulson are in the cockpit having their little chats as they as they do. And uh, May brings up Coulson's physical again. So we kind of are getting an idea that there's some significance there. Or she at least suspects something. And she kind of, you know, pats him on the back for his handling Tony Diaz and telling him, you know, he did good. And um simmons calls him down to the lab and she's you know telling him she's made this discovery she's talking about the cells um from these bodies um and and this is one thing that bothered me and she's like oh this is so cool but she's calling them brain cells and they are clearly not brain cells they are red blood cells on the screen but whatever you know (laughs) (laughs) sorry i'm a you know have a degree in physiology it bothers an extra, um, She has an extra high
2: uh, brain cell count in her, in her right right god
0: <laughs> um but anyway she's telling colson how fascinating this virus is and like how it spread it's spread through electrostatic shock and then we see an instrument floating behind her and colson just looks at her like oh fuck and he starts moving back towards the door to the lab and he's like I'm so sorry and he closes the lab door and locks her in there and she realizes she's infected no so we cut to the scene of uh, Fitz and Simmons sitting on the floor on opposite sides of the door Um, Fitz is working on a little device probably for the antidote and they're just sitting there with these faces just like totally quietly distraught but also like well, we got to do our jobs, like, and now it's one of our lives are at stake here. Um, and Simmons very poignantly says it is an anti-serum, not an antidote, and everyone keeps getting it wrong. Um, she goes and tests it on this rat, and it fails, and we see that there have s- th- this is the second attempt. So there's two failed attempts at this point, and Gemma's face is just so heartbreaking, and you're just like, oh, my God, is she really going to die? Like... There's just so much tension.
2: Well, <laughs> I, I think there's some really good, like you are saying with Fitz uh, being annoyed about the anti-serum versus antidote. Like, I feel like it's it's yeah. sort of kind of played for laughs, but it's also, I feel like it, 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 there's a couple times he does stuff like that in the previous three episodes. He immediately gets like embarrassed or like checks himself. Like, I, I think like he realizes, oh, I'm nerding out or I'm correcting people and stops. But I feel like the stress of the situation makes him more annoyed by it like m- m- more easily like, like oh definitely he, he snaps or rolls his eyes more frequently because the, like this high stress situation is making him not notice or not care that he's being obnoxious
1: yeah yeah definitely that's, that's what i love about this like we just we start to like we start to feel um you know the relationships that they've been building up like for these episodes really like finally start to pay off i think that like you know fitz and simmons are not just um, You know the the quirky, funny scientists. You know who can pull through in a pinch. They're also like people with you know like with a with a deep relationship that has like developed in the past, and that the that like all the events leading up to it, leading up to this, affect the way that they respond. And I think that they do a really good job of kind of showing you that without telling you too much. And um, this is also, I think, the first time that we really get to start to see, like, Elizabeth Henstridge and Ian Castiger and how well they act and act together. Because when they're in a pinch, it's like, I could, I, I think, I think when this came out, I watched it like five times in a row. <laughs> it's like, just oh my it's God. two of them acting off of each other, you know, in that play of like horrific fear and desperation. And we should be able to fix this, but it's a problem that we don't know how to fix. And uh, I, I love the dynamic.
0: I know I do too. And I mean, I'll get into this a little bit later too, because there's more arguing between the two of them. And I think I'll just talk about it now since we're here. Um, <laughs> I think it just shows, especially looking at them now in season five just the the emotional immaturity that they have at this point, like they don't know how they're full. They're super smart kids, and they it's it's weird because May like keeps calling them kids. Ward keeps calling them kids. They're like in their early twenties at this point, I believe, and they're fully capable agents. They've proved themselves to be useful in the field, kind of, um, but they just like don't have that emotional maturity yet to deal with these intense situations. And I think it really shows this episode between the two of them specifically. And I think Sky too, like I think just the three of them, we really do see them grow emotionally, um, kind of just because they experience more and more trauma. But I don't know, this is an interesting... I mean, we've seen this in the past couple episodes, but I think this is like, just because Gemma's life is At risk and it's so high stakes here it's just really really highlights (laughs) that they don't know how to handle this yet um
1: didn't even pass their field assessment tests like when you hear that it's like what are you doing here you guys (laughs) colson maybe it it actually seems a little
0: irresponsible
1: of colson yeah (laughs)
0: yeah um but yeah so anyway so ward is upstairs kind of surveying the situation from a distance. And Sky comes in and they kind of have this moment. He is kind of letting her back into his little sphere, I guess, when she's been in the doghouse. Um, and Ward is expressing that he feels really helpless and he wanted it to be a person and he wants to protect them. And he can't protect them if there's no one to attack or to take out. And Sky is like, so what do we do? And he says, whatever it is that we are called upon to do. And it's, well, I mean, we'll get back into that later in the spoiler section, but. Um, I mean, if that's not
1: a done, 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 like, what is? I know. So Coulson
0: gets orders from Agent Blake, who's pay- played by Titus Villiver, um, to dump the infected cargo if they have to, which is, like. Uh, does he know that it's simmons that is the infected cargo like that's
1: crazy so this is interesting i actually really like the way they do this i think it's a it's a good writing thing to not hammer like i feel like it would have been really easy for them to have a conversation where colson said like hey one of our scientists is infected and they, and he was like oh well you have to get right. rid of her you know because we can't cure this thing so you have to throw her off the plane or just make it really obvious but they never they never elaborate on the word cargo it's just an understanding between them that that Blake knows exactly what he's saying and Coulson knows exactly right. what Blake's saying and May knows exactly what Blake is saying. So I, I really like that little touch. I feel like it, it was a little risky because I think some people might not have gotten it. But I, I think, yeah, it's, it's one of those like trust the audience things that I really appreciate.
0: Yeah. So at this point, we go back to... Fitz and Simmons in the lab or uh, Fitz is not in the lab, but he's just outside the lab and they're kind of arguing and, you know, Fitz they're blaming each other for even being here or (laughs) like Fitz wanted to stay, you know, out of the field. And Simmons is like, you know, These are the best moments you've had in your entire life. And finally, they like stop arguing. And Fitz is like, You've been here beside me this whole damn time. And he just pauses and the look on the, and he has this look on his face like, You have to fix this, he says. It's just so emotional. (laughs) And just like you start to realize that Fitz has like gotten to the point where he realizes, the, his friend might die, and she's the only one that can do anything about this. Like he's kind of helpless in this situation as well. But they like through this conversation, they like figure out how to fix it, or at least they uh, theoretically have a, a way to fix it. Basically, they're gonna use cells from the Ch- the chitari helmet um, to make antibodies to make this anti-serum. So Fitz uh, runs upstairs, grabs the helmet, and just runs into the lab without regard to himself being infected, which is so adorable. And they test the antidote and the third rat dies he gets suspended up in the air and it's just like this moment of like oh my god this is like they're really gonna kill Gemma
1: like this is crazy um, can we just talk about the music in that science scene for a oh, yeah. like the music in that scene is so intense and like I think it's actually, I think Bear McCreary made that like Fitz and Simmons theme. Um, but like just the, it's got like hopefulness in it and it's got terror in it. And like, it keeps going up and down in the way, you know, like this whole thing, I think is also partly about like Fitz and Simmons work best yes. together, you know, they figure it out because they're talking off of each other and they, they come to that conclusion together um, and Fitz being willing to go into the lab, you know, and Simmons of course being like, don't come into yeah. the lab, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I, I, I I love little scenes in, in any show where they're kind of, where the action is unusual and just watching people do science is yeah. unusual, um, especially like, oh, my God, drama, science, she's using a Petri dish. Ah, you know? <laughs> And I, I love that they pull it off and you're just really like sitting on the edge of your seat. Yeah, completely. And yeah, like, I totally agree. Like,
0: it is to highlight that they are a team and they are best when they're working together. And that's what makes this next moment so awful. So Gemma goes up to Coulson through the glass and she's like, you know, I really want you to tell my father before you tell my mother. I think she'll take it better if she hears it from him. And he's just like, Coulson like doesn't want to give up. He always has hope that, you know, something's going to change or there's someone's going to fly in and save the day. And she's just like, no, just we have to this is how it has to be. I've accepted that this is the end. And she asks for a moment alone with Fitz. And the the look on Skye's face when she's just like hearing all of this is so heartbreaking. And we are all her just like watching from the outside, like knowing that we don't, have the same intimate connection between these two characters, but just being like, oh my God, this can't be it. This can't be the end. It's not fair. So Fitz is still working on this anti-serum and he's like, you know, we're just got to do this and this. And Gemma just comes behind him and she has this look on her face and she's like, I'm sorry. And she knocks him out with a fire extinguisher. Then it cuts to them being the, the rest of the team being upstairs. They realize that the cargo ramp is being lowered and Ward immediately knows what's going on. He runs out of the room. And then Fitz wakes up and he sees that this third rat is actually alive. So their anti-serum worked, but it's too late because Gemma is already on the edge of the ramp, like about to jump off. And he's like, Fitz is screaming through the glass, like, no, no, Gemma, don't jump. It worked. And she, like, looks back at him with this heartbreaking look and just, like, flies off the ramp. And Fitz doesn't hesitate. He grabs the antiserum. He, like, runs out of the lab. He grabs a parachute backpack off the wall. And he's totally going to go jump off the ramp and save her. But Ward jumps down. And clearly, he is the more capable agent to do something like this. So he takes over. And he jumps after Gemma and saves her. But oh my God, Fitz was so willing to just jump out of a plane when he has no field training doing this, most likely, and save his friend. And it was just oh, it was so sweet.
1: Oh, yeah. No, Fitz is like, I love this so much. <laughs> I know. I know.
0: So we go back to the bus, and they're in Colson's office, and Colson's and Ward and Gemma are, are sitting. Or standing in front of Colson's desk and he's lecturing Gemma to never fucking do that again because they all care about her. And everyone just has so many feelings, and everyone on this plane has a hard time expressing these feelings. And Colson's last line to them is, you know, we'd hate to lose you, Gemma. And the look on his face is just like, you know, he cares so much about these, this, this whole team, and he's trying to play, you know, team leader and also mentor and also like a father figure to them. And it's everyone everyone had something to lose <laughs> in this in this case ward and gemma walk back downstairs and ward's like telling her you know like what you did was really courageous i really admire it and gemma's like well uh i lied to you about that extra ounce being gone and the night night gun and ward's kind of like yeah i know and he very obviously heard the entire exchange and it's very cute and then Skye comes running up to Gemma and gives her this big hug. And Gemma seems a little bit surprised by it. She's kind of like, whoa, like, I didn't know we were that close of friends, but I'm glad we are. And I cried so much at this part. when I, Both times I watched it because it's just really rare to see a female friendship on screen. And it's especially rare to see a female friendship that feels strong yet vulnerable at the same time. And that's very much what this felt like. And we can get into more in the spoiler section about like their relationship, but I just really loved this moment so much. It was really meaningful.
1: Yeah. I mean, e- even just at this stage, I think it's very, um, it's really good to see Sky connect with someone, you know, because I feel like most of what she's been doing is kind of like, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Sky to, at this point in the series. And she just kind of like complains and is kind of sulky and mostly has relationships with men at this point so to see her in this position where like she is completely helpless she cannot do anything so yeah i i really think that this episode is like kind of actually a good look on sky (laughs) like i i don't love her at this part of the show um although i i you know that that definitely changes but i think that um she's mostly been kind of like just sulking a little bit and kind of being like oh i'm more clever than you and talking with the boys a lot of the time so to see her in a situation where she is like absolutely 100% useless she cannot do anything and I think she realizes too in this moment like how how much Simmons means to her how much it's how important it is to have a friend you know or or, or somebody who is in kind of the same um I don't know <laughs> life <laughs> you know stage of life as she is um you know and and that obviously. Becomes a really powerful thing growing forward. So to me, this is like a, one of Sky's highlights in season one is just seeing her, you know, respond as honestly, like kind of a, a helpless, crying, almost teenager, basically. And, and I, I like that. Like, that's not a criticism at all. I think that's that show's. That's a realistic character development that I appreciate.
0: Yeah, and I think, too, like, what we know about Sky's background at this point, too, is she, you know, grew up in the system. She was orphaned. Um, That's pretty meaningful. Like, it's probably – she's not a very, like, emotionally available person. Like, she hides behind a lot of humor and sarcasm. And I think just to see her just raw emotion in this moment and just being able to connect with Gemma is super – Like it's, it's huge for this character in particular. So, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so yeah, just a really nice moment. Colson and May are now having a conversation and, you know, May is like, are you okay? Like what's going on? And, you know, Colson's like, you know, I'm the one who ordered this physical because I, you know, on paper everything is fine, but I don't feel fine. Like something, I feel different. Something feels different. And May like, has him unbutton his shirt and just looks at his scar from Loki's scepter. um, I don't even remember what it's called at this point. (laughs) The thing that killed him that Loki stuck in his chest. And May just kind of talks about trauma. She's like, whether it was eight seconds or 40, you died. And there's no way that you can go through a trauma like that unchanged. You feel different because you are different. And I think that's just hugely important just, like, for... Every day, like for us as human beings, not in this universe to hear something like that, but also for her. And we'll talk about this in the spoiler section, but what we know about her to say something like that is extremely meaningful as well. Um, and I'm just going to move forward so we can get into the spoiler section as quickly as possible. Cause I feel like there's so much to discuss here. Um, So Fitz and Simmons are in, I think it's in Fitz's room and they're kind of having this cute moment. He's like, like, you know, I, I, I really was going to do it. I was going to be the one to jump out of the plane and save you. And Simmons is like, you know, it's fine. You know? Yeah. Ward is the one who did that. And he did this super crazy James Bond move, but you're the one that was in the lab with me and you were the one that gave me hope. And you know, thank you for that. And she kisses him on the cheek and she leaves. And Fitz kind of has this like confused and then pleased and then really disturbed look on his face. Like, just like the, there's a range of emotions that flash through his face in this moment. And that's, and then we, and then we cut to the very end scene where Coulson and, and Agent Blake are having this kind of This this tense moment of, you know, Blake's like, look, you can't keep pulling shit like this. You can't just ignore calls from HQ or orders from HQ. And Coulson kind of acts like he's a little invincible and he's like he's kind of embracing his his different, I guess, and how he's changed. And I know specifically in episode four, like there was a lot of emphasis on how Coulson has changed (laughs) um, since I guess at least for the people that have known him before, um, the battle of New York. And so I don't know there, and we just end, we end the episode here. So, yeah, I feel like this, so this episode is in between like some more, uh, I guess relevant plot episodes in the season. And it should have been a filler episode, but it was actually extremely meaningful and probably one of the more emotional episodes of the season. um, which is great. And that's like what makes the show so amazing, like throughout the rest of the seasons. And I think this is like the, the true beginning of sh- seeing where the show shines. And I think, Michal, you touched a lot on that earlier. Just like, this is when shields good, it's really good. And this is one of those episodes that was just really
2: good. <laughs> well, well, and you mentioned it'd be like a filler episode that is meaningful. And that reminds me of like, although I don't love them as much as I used to, uh, one of the more positive things I think that Joss Whedon in general was able to kind of develop over time. And it almost reminds me like, I've talked about a lot with like procedural and genre shows and shows that kind of blend the two and thought about it a lot. And I think that for me, it seems like X-Files kind of mastered the formula where they'd have like one episode that was really mythology based and really they had the ongoing story and having like three or four episodes in a row that were just totally standalone and any real development was about, about the characters and their relationship. And I think that similarly, I think Buffy almost had a better rhythm where it was like two episodes that focused heavily on mythology and then three that were more standalone and then back and forth and with, with some variation here and there. But uh, I feel like that's one of his biggest strengths as a showrunner that really does kind of establish itself here, like you said, on, on S.H.I.E.L.D., where they kind of get in that rhythm. Because the, the first Filler episode, was that the second one? Yeah. Which, which it did establish some stuff that, that at least tonally we get later, but I don't know. It it, it doesn't quite feel as good. Like, like They're definitely trying because it is about like the group dynamic. But now that they're kind of able to focus on individual characters a little bit and kind of finally move out of just repeating the some of the moments in the pilot over and over again, I mm-hmm. feel like it, it really does kind of stand on its own.
0: Michal, I know that you brought this up before, but Elizabeth Henstridge just like really, really pulls her acting chops in this episode. And I mean, we see many, many more episodes where she does this, but I just love that this episode was really focused on her, at least in the second half. And she's just – everyone in this cast is an amazing actor, but she – her and Ian sticker specifically are, I think they just are leaps and bounds, probably Clark Gregg as well, for me anyway, in their skills and their ability to draw emotion into these scenes where they're, like you, like they were in a lab, and I think the music has a lot to do with it as well, but just them like working next to each other in a lab you're like tense and emotional and you're like these guys have to figure it out they have to win they have to win and just their quiet moments and their face acting and it's just so good
1: (laughs) It, it is it's so good and I think I think like you know just to go back to what you were saying I think that you know episodes that are um I I don't think like I think there there are definitely shows that kind of act like their filler episodes aren't filler i'm looking at you star wars rebels um but like (laughs) there there are certain shows that will or anyway certain episodes within a show i i will be the first to say that not every filler episode in shield accomplishes this but i think that there are certain episodes and this is one of them where it's not vital to the plot but it is deeply vital to character and to understanding, I think, what the show is and what it really wants to accomplish. And I remember, like, you know, down the line, um, people were, like, writing shortcut lists. Like, which episodes you should skip of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and which ones you have to watch. And Fizz almost always got cut. And I was like, no, you guys are missing the whole point. No. Like, you have to see this. Because otherwise, it's like, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, you, you might get, like, the overall, like, Marvel story but you're not going to understand half of the half of the reason why it's why it's happening. And to me that's that is conveyed so beautifully in this episode and like yeah I, I just I think that th- this it explains a lot like I had, you know, some some friends who were like I don't know why they cast two people as like the brains of the team like that's kind of doubling up a role like why, you know, why bother with that? And it's like, well, A, it actually people are usually one branch of science or the other like they're usually not tech geniuses and biochemists at the same time but also this this it 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 allows for an emotional relationship that you couldn't get if it was just what because a lot of shows have that like the one like the the computer geek who stays in the 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 thing and you know and in the lab and has to you know be saved every so often um, and I love that trope. That's not me crapping on that trope. It's actually one of my favorites, part of the reason why I love Fitzsimmons. But adding this relationship dynamic there just elevates the whole thing to, you know, I mean, in my opinion, one of my favorite television relationships, like full stop.
0: Yeah, and it's it's interesting too because I think this is one of the first episodes where we really do get Fitz and Simmons separate. Like they... Are two separate characters like they have two separate arcs as characters in the show, but they also just come back together as the team of Fitzsimmons during the episode as well and how they are they do um, like their relationship as part of the show just. I mean, you said it way better than I did, but I just really I, I just think it's really interesting that like they are, ex- you know, this episode is exploring them separately and also together, I guess. And I think that they do a really good job, especially later on, of giving them both characters justice and time, but also making sure that we understand them as a team. And I think this episode just a really good balanced job of doing that. And I think to um, going back to filler episodes and all that, I, me and Jared always discuss like the benefits and the downfalls of having long seasons and versus short seasons. And I think one of the reasons I've definitely said this in the past, one of the reasons why we love Agents of Shield so much is that we are really connected to these characters on an extremely emotional level and it doesn't end you know at season one it definitely continues on into season five and i think it is because of these filler episodes they they do a good job of team building and i think later on we'll see filler episodes are kind of going to be doing the same thing like it is building up these characters and not just i don't know being filler mm-hmm. <laughs> for for lack of a better intellectual way of saying it
1: yeah I mean it's it's interesting how like you know the this is one episode after we've started to get a, a hint at the greater antagonist of the season or the the greater force behind the season right like last episode was the first time we hear about the clairvoyant and I think that this is yeah. You know, so so to me, automatically, there's a little bit more leeway because something I think that S.H.I.E.L.D. really did take its sweet time doing and, you know, reasons aside, um, telling you what the show was about and what these characters were coming together to actually accomplish, I think, um, is, is a flaw that the show had. So now that they've sort of hinted at that, I think it does give them a little breathing room to be like, OK, there is a structure we're not showing you guys the whole thing yet, but there is something here and then we can kind of step back. Also, I think it's important that like, you know, Fitz has all of like one episode to fight against the idea that he is like permanently bonded on a molecular level to Simmons. Um, You know, when he's like fighting against Sky, being like, Oh no, 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 I'm not. No, it's you and me. We're so in sync. And then by the end of the episode, it's like, Oh yeah, no, no, it's one person. It's her. (laughs) It's yeah.
0: Yeah, I know. Um, And do you feel like the scene with at the very end with Fitz where he's just kind of like going through the ringer with his emotions, do you feel like that works? Do you feel like that like nails home that he accepts that Simmons is like essentially his partner <laughs> in this whole mess? Or I don't know, like, I mean, we know how uh, how this plays out. I don't know, should we get into spoilers at this point? It's so hard to talk about this without talking about what happens next.
1: <laughs> well, I, I will say one thing that I think doesn't doesn't need like the the spoiler warning, but they do this little sound thing at the end where they do like a boom like right when like it kind of zooms in on Fitz's face and like and i remember being like what does this mean like does this mean that he's evil or does this mean that he's in love with simmons or like because it's a very strange beat and i think that it would have actually worked a lot better without that you know kind of like just looking on his face without giving us an, an audible cue that is like a hint to something that we're not really sure what it is um yeah so if i were remaking this episode i would Basically, just say take out that beat. Like, don't do that boom sound. It's not doing you any favors I don't
0: know, though. I kind of, I kind of liked it, and I do remember, like, looking back and being like, it's total foreshadowing for stuff that happens later on. I think now, having watched what happens mm. and looking at it now, okay, we're just going to go into the spoiler section because it's really hard for me to not talk about spoilers. Like, <laughs> I'm not even. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, all right, listeners, if you have not watched through the end of season five, please go do that right now and then come back and listen to the rest of this because there's a lot of good stuff. All right. Now we can talk about spoilers. <laughs> I feel like that little note at the end of that scene was very like foreshadowing what's going to happen. Like They finally figured out that they're They're partners and they work well together and, you know, they give each other hope and it's so great. And then like Fitz, the rest of the season is like kind of working through his feelings and how he feels about Gemma. And then at the end, it's like he basically, at least we think, he dies (laughs) or he is very close to death. And so it's kind of like it's foreshadowing like the doom of their relationship throughout the entire five seasons, I feel. I don't know. And I don't even know if they had that in mind when they were at this season, Who knows, right? (laughs) But let's keep talking about Fitz and Gemma just because, Mahal, you added a lot of good notes to this. They do look really young and they're like emotionally young as well. (laughs) And it's, and they're, they're, like you said, they're like, being toyed with throughout all of these seasons and their relationship just you know they get together they get pulled apart they get together again they get pulled apart and it's just um what you put in the notes is like it's like it's a cat and mouse game the entire time with them and it just doesn't end ever <laughs> and it's really heartbreaking to see the beginnings of this knowing where it's going to end up I think. Michal did you want to add something about up- about Fitz and Gemma and their future relationship I know you put a lot of stuff in the notes and I can't really remember what happens with the plane and their honeymoon
1: um yeah so this is just it's a nice thing in that like um there's one episode in in season five where you know they get married and then they're like talking about their honeymoon and uh and then they go you know jump out of a plane because they have to go get kidnapped by Ruby and and Von Strucker um, and they, they like deliberately reference uh, Fizz and they're like, oh, hey, this time we're jumping out together <laughs> and Fitz has his parachute on. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you guys have come so far.
0: <laughs> I didn't even catch that when I saw it. That's really, that's really cute.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when certain episodes are burned into your brain. <laughs> Yeah. Or, like, that that reference. And there are ones I miss, for sure, because, like, there are other parts of the show that I kind of let slide. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Definitely. So I do want to talk a
0: little bit about Grant Ward um, mm-hmm, and how mm-hmm. I hate him with a burning passion. And I think we can all agree. Um, so... That whole speech that he has with him and Sky, like upstairs when Jem is trying to figure out the cure and he's – oh, what does he say? Let me look back really quick. He says – so Sky asked him, what do we do? And he says, whatever it is we are called to do. And we all know what he eventually or the entire time has been called to do is infiltrate and befriend everyone. And so it's just extra shitty that he is – a part of this really emotional moment and essentially he's using it as manipulation. And just now every line that I hear him say anything about trust or teamwork or anything, I just get like, like that zapping feeling in the back of my head. Like, Oh, you asshole. I know what's coming. It's really hard to watch these episodes with him in it. I have to admit
1: Well, yeah, he has that line, right? Like, to you know, Coulson's like, hey, aren't you being a little tough on Skye? And he's like, she betrayed us. She, you know, took advantage of our trust. It was oh, like, I
0: you know. asshole. I know. And you know what? I didn't even mention that in the synopsis because, like, I was like, I can't even talk about that, situa- that, that scene without ranting yeah. about how awful it is that he said that and he's the one to be- basically betray the entire team. Also, just like... And I know we will talk about this, or we talked about this more in episodes four and five, but just like the fact that him and Fitz are becoming like closer and they're like buddies and now like he goes and saves Gemma and just like without hesitation, he just like runs, you know, down there and jumps and saves her. Like how fucked up in the head do you have to be to play these parts like
2: this? Like, oh, well, it it adds a weird yeah. wrinkle in their relationships, too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's all it's all building the foundation that he has been told to cultivate. And he's like doing it 100 with like he's a specialist. He's doing it perfectly. Yeah, it's
0: all training. Ugh, just like makes me so upset. So another thing I wanted to talk about is Colson clearly is figuring out. Something's going on with him. Like he feels weird. Like it's been building up for a couple episodes now, and we were also introduced to that weird alien writing in episode four. Um, so that is eventually going to culminate in weird shit happening, and we figure out weird shit with Coulson with like the the, the serum that they used for Project Tahiti, and. But I did want to talk about how, like, him and his conversation with May about trauma, and like, I just like. Knowing what's coming, I feel like that cheapens that conversation a little bit. And it kind of makes me a little sad. Like, like it could have just been, like, two people just, like, talking about, like, shit that's gone down. But May knows that Coulson went through Project Tahiti and he essentially, like, came back from the dead. And so she knows that his his feelings about feeling different are valid. And she's almost – it feels a little manipulative to me to just be like, you know, you, know, you went through shit. Like, of course you're going to feel different. I mean – at the same time, like they are friends and they, that conversation does have meaning just as being agents that have gone through a lot of shit together, especially in the, even just within the past couple missions. But hours. I don't know. What do you guys think? <laughs> yeah, hours. <laughs> I don't know. I was curious to see what you guys, how you guys felt about that.
1: You know, I, I definitely hear you and I I, in a way, I agree, but I still think that, you know, May is probably under the imperative of like, if you tell him anything like concrete about this situation, it's going to be really bad because that's kind of what we've, you know, that's, that's why everything's been kept a secret from him. Uh, So I wouldn't necessarily say that she's right, but I think that she's going on the information that she has and she's kind of trying to validate his feelings as much as possible. And it sort of works. For the time being, right? Like he I I really think that Colson is very hesitant to kind of accept that he's going through any kind of trauma until May, who obviously we know has been through trauma, uh goes like, oh no, no, you're traumatized. It's fine. <laughs> like, it's okay yeah. if it's gonna take a while. So I think that it's sort of in between, because obviously she's not telling him the truth. Um, but I don't think she's not telling him the truth because she is playing with him or anything. I think she thinks it's the only path forward at this point
0: that makes sense that makes me feel a little better <laughs> well,
2: and that, that was sort of my my thought as well i wasn't as confident with it like I, I was just thinking that based on what we heard when we got the little hint about you know the true meaning of tahiti and everything and, and what actually happened with him earlier in the season was it at the end of the first or second episode when it was like you, you never know the truth <laughs> like, like I, yeah
0: i think that was in the pilot actually. yeah I, I
2: feel like that That moment sort of is what I was thinking of. Is maybe why it feels manipulative because I don't think May can definitely be manipulative, and even with even with uh, Coulson, but it never feels like as messed up as that would be. Like it feels like she's really she is trying to protect him. I think in in a weird way. So I I, I would agree. I
0: like that. That's much better than my feelings. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go with your your feelings on that, and I just think it's really. Interesting too, where we see their relationship end up in season five. Just, I don't know. We'll talk about this more later on, but just the fallout from Coulson finding out that May had the secret mission from from Fury at to like watch him and like make sure nothing weird was happening, and he wasn't coming to like conclusions about what happened. And I don't know, just like her checking in with him a lot to see like where he's at we'll we'll discuss it definitely more cuz i know an episode is coming up r- relatively soon i think
1: they are very intimate together like they they have they a lot are. of um there's a lot of communication that goes unspoken which is helpful for the writers cuz they don't have to tell us what's up with either of them um but i think that <laughs> yeah the, you know colson and may have always yeah. kind of been there that place that's
0: true that's true and i mean we, they have tons of like unseen history from our perspective as well like I, I don't even i think there is a couple there are a couple episodes like later on in the season where they kind of talk about they're like reminiscing about the old day the good old days or whatever but we we're i guess more and more as the episodes go on we're getting a better sense of what the relationship is like and has been like since they were younger i guess um Like, I think I feel like up until this, maybe even episode four or five, it was a very like May was just very stone cold. You know, I'm here to work. Like, I don't want to, like, be anyone's friend. And I feel like May is opening up a little bit more. Maybe we're seeing that side of, like, their previous relationship or even just a new side of a relationship forming. I don't know. It just I don't it'll be I want to keep track of, like, where where this is and where it ends up. For sure, it's just interesting to look back and see what they're like at in in this early stage. I guess.
1: Well, yeah, I'm I'm sure that neither of them is 100 percent sure either. You know, like they, you know, Colson has come back from the dead. It didn't seem like they were, you know, super in touch for a while after um, Bahrain and all that. Um, they really does seem to have gone kind of underground, yeah. um, emotionally speaking, and so I think they are still both trying to grapple with with you know I, the thing with shields is that you're never only dealing with supernatural or emotional things you're always dealing with both so like you have to deal with the fact that yeah. you know he came back to life with an alien serum and you also have to deal with the fact that she killed a child who was you know a, a terrible inhuman and was going to cause a ton of destruction um, on top of the fact that you have to deal with the fact that you know they're both experiencing normal trauma and the effects of not being around each other after having been very close in a dangerous job for a very long time and yeah i I think it it does make sense to kind of start to see them thaw this way and um you know may i think against may's that like may's May is convinced that her instinct is self-preservation. Her instinct is not (laughs) self-preservation. It's to save everybody else. And I think that you see that throughout, you know.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. No, that's a super good point, actually. Um, I really like how this show subverts that whole dragon lady stereotype, too. Like, making May vulnerable and making her... I guess, vulnerable in her own way. Like it's Mingna's acting is just so superb. <laughs> um, she doesn't even have to say anything, just her body language and her facial expressions when she's put in these situations where she kind of has to make that call or kind of play mom or, you know, friend or whatever it may be. Um, And then later on, when we get later into the season where we do focus more on her past and her growth and her relationship with her husband or ex-husband and how that all that fallout. And it really makes me happy that we have two very different Asian women on the show that could have been those Asian stereotypes. And they are so not. And it's, it's so such a relief. And it makes me happy that that. This show is still around and it hasn't been canceled and it's you know still going strong into its sixth season, final season. Is that uh,
1: correct? Not confirmed, likely, but not confirmed.
0: Rumored. Okay. I have. I mean. But yeah, it just makes me happy. Um, do you guys have anything else that you would like to discuss, spoiler wise?
1: Look uh, back at the notes.
0: I know. Oh, um, agent Blake. So I don't really remember what happens to him after this. I do. I recognized him when I rewatched this episode. Um, and I kind of went and looked through the wiki, but Michal, could you elaborate on, <laughs> cause you have a way better memory clearly than I do about what happens to him after so, this? So
1: to the best of my recollection, um, to put it succinctly, uh, shit gets rough for agent Blake. He, um, gets wounded i think by um it might be uh oh my god Deathlock. um later on in this season and he's like he's like paralyzed and and in a coma at some point and like he's not doing well and then at a certain point i think he actually teams up with um some of the bad guys we see him involved in a in a weapons trade i think um i think that might have been the beginning of last of season four with like the ghost box, um, I could be remembering that wrong. But Blake has kind of fallen to, like, the the dark side of the, you know, the, the former agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. who have all kind of aligned. And I think that's kind of sad, honestly. Like, I kind of hope they bring him back to redeem him a little bit. Because, you know, he, uh, yeah, I don't know. Titus Welliver doesn't get to be redeemed a lot of the time. <laughs> but I think that would be nice.
0: Wow. I, like, have no memory of his character after this episode I'm really
1: (laughs) well it's not like a lot of yeah (laughs) it's not friendly well
0: Jared I know um we talked a little bit before we started recording Jared I know we we talked a little bit before we started recording but you said there's not a ton of like um source material for this episode it was really just yeah because
2: the characters you know in in this episode are all originals for the the mcu or for the show you know there are not any any real c- huge connections to uh past comic book stuff you know there none of these characters sometimes you know like we talked about how uh you know mike who becomes deflock even though he's not the same mike who becomes deflock in the comics has a lot of things in common <laughs> but his character's name is still taken from a, a, a random kind of side character and they do that a lot but in this case you know they get, like all the guys who were infected and whatnot none of them were based on any, any comic characters so there's not really any uh issues to reference or anything big uh it's just good development for the characters that we we uh, already i guess have not been introduced to and then blake i don't i'm pretty sure he's an original for the show as well welliver's cool because you know he like uh wasn't lost A man <laughs> was, in big, black big, oh, big lost right. spoiler in our, in our spoiler section, he's the smoke monster. <laughs> <laughs> so when you rewatch the first episode of Lost, no, but that's going to somehow be Titus Welliver <laughs> by the end. Oh um, and then, yeah, he, he's what he's on Bosch on Amazon. He's a good actor. Uh, oh, and the, yeah, I guess the only uh, the, like so, the bad guys he hooks up with, other than uh, uh I, I think in the later seasons are the Watchdogs. Which are from the comics as well. Oh. They're you, you know usually a hate group, usually a thinly veiled like metaphor for a hyper conservative like militia. Because mm, yeah. I think those were originally created in the '80s in the comics, but they're still around <laughs> thirty years later. We still have those guys. Uh, That's so
0: crazy to me. Like all the just like this circulating. You know, I mean, like even if you think about Star Wars, to go to a different fandom that we're all a part of. <laughs> um, just, like, thinking about, like, the Nazi imagery in from the Empire and, and kind of recycling that in the First Order and just how that's still relevant. Like, it's so crazy to me that all this stuff, like, is written in comics that are, like, from the 80s or even, like, the 70s, and it's still relevant I today. Remember, <laughs> I remember being so a kid and enough. being, like,
2: annoyed when stuff that wasn't, like, Indiana Jones had... But like like Nazi bad guys, because I was like, it makes sense around World War Two, like before and after World War Two, to have Nazi bad guys, but they're not around anymore. It's like, well, now no, they're they were around, they were just more quiet, and now they're really loud again, and still around. And
1: comics aren't political. <laughs> well, <I'm- laughs>
2: I I wish they were wrong. I wish they were <laughs> they weren't around, but
0: yeah. Well, on that lovely note, never forget (laughs) the Nazis. Um, I think that wraps it up. So thank you guys for listening. Um, You can find this podcast on Twitter at Project Tahiti. Um, Our email is projecttahitipod at gmail.com if you want to drop us a line. Um, Thank you, Michal, so much for coming on. Um, I love talking to you about agents of shield online <laughs> and I would, we would love to have you back. Cause I know there's some other episodes coming up that we have screamed about in the past. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, um, where can people find you on the internet?
1: Well, thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you for tolerating my, uh, <laughs> Enthusiasm. Um, you can find me on Twitter at inkazrain and you can find my writing at hypable.com.
0: So yeah, and then you can find me at spacejess with
2: four S's in the Jess. And then how about you, Jared? I am at I Snow Nothing. Like I word snow and then nothing nothing with no G at the end. I, on Twitter and Instagram, and I think that's it. Awesome.
0: Well, thanks again for listening to Project Tahiti. It's a magical place. Bye.